thanks for listening to our Life Church Utah podcast. We exist to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. We are located here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and you can check us out online at lifechurchutah.com. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to uh, have each one of you here. Thanks for making your way out on a uh, lovely, uh, almost winter morning here in uh, Utah. And this week is Thanksgiving. Oh, come on. How many of you Thanksgiving is like your favorite meal of the year? It's the meal that keeps on giving, right? You're going to be eating leftovers for about a week and a half. It's awesome. Well past their shelf life, but it is a uh, great time. Hopefully, uh, you'll be able to celebrate with friends and uh, family on Thursday as we celebrate uh, Thanksgiving together. And uh, just to embarrass her, it's Ashton's 18th birthday today. So very excited about that. So... Hey, at the end of the service, as uh, Pastor John already mentioned, we will be having a, uh, we'll be receiving the special offering for one day to feed the world. So thank you for those who saw on social media in the past few weeks as we've been talking about this, uh, getting ready for this offering. So excited. First service. Uh, what, a, what a fantastic response. Uh, and uh, just can't wait to see what happens here in second service. So uh, we are dealing with uh, the book of Romans and ans- trying to answer the question, uh, what does it mean to be Christian? Right, This becomes a big part of the entire book of Romans, and we are making our way slowly through this incredible letter. Uh, I don't even know how many weeks we've been in Romans already, and we're going to be in it till like 2024 at this rate, but it's going to be fantastic. So turn in your Bibles, please. We're going to be in a couple of places today. Uh, in your smart devices, whatever you've got, you can turn to Gen- start at Genesis chapter 12. And then also uh, Romans chapter 4. So if you've got your physical Bibles, uh, kind of mark both of those. But uh, on your digital or your uh, smart devices, we're going to be in Romans chapter uh, 4. And Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to uh, be beginning. So what does it mean to be Christian? We can answer that a number of different ways. Uh, one of those ways is, is the way that maybe the world and religion would say this is what it means to be a Christian. And, and what does it mean to be a Christian answered the way that Paul is going to be answering it for us in Romans is really the right way to answer it. And so, yes, there is a wrong and a right answer uh, for us uh, this morning. And Paul has been kind of uh, walking around this big picture over the past couple of chapters. And so, if you've been here through the first part of our series on Romans, uh, some of this is going to sound familiar. Some of it's going to be brand new to you. Uh, And again, if you are new here with us today, welcome uh, to Life Church. It's great to have you, as well as those who are watching us online, perhaps, for the very first uh, time. So there's two very broad ways that this is answered. One is that we work our way into good favor with God. That's one way that people can answer this question, what does it mean to be Christian? Because um, the bottom line is that uh, the, the, the word Christian is in essence this idea that we are right with God, right? That we are made right with God. And so how are we made right with God? Is it because we do certain things that makes God love us more, that we have to act in particular ways to please God, or, um, you know, it's, uh, this is a works-based approach. They have to do something in order for God to like us more. Um, if I give a certain amount, then God will love me. If I attend enough services, say there's a, you have to attend a thousand services for God to love you, and you die at number 999, 
right? All of a sudden, like, oh, I didn't make it to a thousand. God doesn't love me, right? So there's a works idea. I have to do something. I have to earn uh, God's love or God's favor. I always have to have a good attitude in order for God to love me. Sometimes we tell our children that, and that might be right. But anyway, so it's, you know, we, right? we have to have a good attitude, and that's how God loves us. I have to be moral enough for God to love me. A works-based approach, not sure you realize this or not, but a works-based approach puts you as the individual over God. You ever thought about it that way before? Because by you working, you are making God respond to you in a way. Right? If, If I do certain things, then God has to respond to me by loving me. That means I'm forcing God to do something that otherwise he might not want to do. So works-based religions where you have to please God in order for him to like you, those are really much more about yourself than it is about God. And uh, let's be careful with this because um, this isn't necessarily a modern phenomenon. It's not necessarily something that just started in the early 1900s, let's say. Uh, This is something that's been going on, obviously, because Paul's dealing with it, so certainly through the New Testament. Back in the Old Testament, even, this is being dealt with. And in fact, we can go all the way back to Egypt to have some discovery about that we're not the only people that struggle with this idea of how, how are we made right with God? Uh, I got a picture for you. This is uh, from uh, in, in Egypt on a papyrus that was written. And this is a picture of how Egyptians dealt with, in essence, making it to the other side. And which, where, where did you go when you went to the other side? And so basically it's this idea, if I do enough good works, it outweighs the bad works. Right? It sounds a lot like karma. It sounds a lot like, uh, honestly, uh, some Christians can fall into this trap. If I do enough good things, it outweighs the bad things I did when I was younger, and therefore everything will be good. And the way this is pictured here is on the left, uh, left-hand side next to that big, uh, uh, what is that thing called? A weighing thing. How's that for a technical term? Uh, the big weighing thing. Uh, just to the left of it, that is the Pharaoh, I believe. And uh, to the right of it is the God that is uh, allowing this Pharaoh to go through a test to find out whether or not he can make it to the afterlife. And here is the test that is made. On the left-hand side, you will notice the heart of the Pharaoh. You notice that there on the, on the scales? That's the word for it, the scales. Uh, so, um, so there's the heart on the left-hand side. On the right-hand side is a depiction of a feather. And so basically, if the Pharaoh's heart weighed less than or equal to a feather, then all of the bad things he had done were outweighed by the good things because the good things made his heart lighter and the, uh, the bad things weighed his heart down. So if he had a light heart, it meant that he was good enough to make it to the other side. How often are we just like this, thinking this is how God deals with us? I've done enough good things, and so all of those things measure up to a light heart. And when I get to the, the pearly gates, right? That's kind of the, the idea we have. In the, we get to the pearly gates, and uh, Peter is waiting there for us. Why should I let you in? Because my heart is light as a feather. He's going to say, no, that's not the entry. What's, you know, right? Okay, so we've got this idea, and this picture, unfortunately, 
makes its way into our culture, makes its way even into Christian uh, religions and things like that, right? So you have this idea that that's how we make it. But is that the case? Is this, is this how God deals with us at the end of our lives? Um, no. <laughs> there is another way, and this is what Paul uh, is talking about in Romans. And what he turns to now is hitting pretty hard at the core belief system of, the, uh, of Judaism. And uh, so he, he digs into some things that sound very much like they only deal with, with Jewishness. <laughs> they only deal with uh, Judaism as a religion. Um, but the reality is what, uh, what Paul is trying to get, uh, the point he's trying to make is, is that there's an origin story for what it means to be a Christian and it's much older than what we think it is. The origin story, well, how many of you like the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Right? Anybody like that? I'm, I'm, I'm like a fan. I enjoy most of them. I uh, wasn't a big fan of the Eternals. But anyway, uh, so you have the origin story in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You've got this origin story of uh, Captain America, you know, the, 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 the first Avenger. And you've got, um, who's the other? Black Widow, right? So you've got this, this whole idea of their story comes from somewhere. What makes them the way that they are? And, and you know, why did they, they choose to do this? Well, we have an origin story for Christianity that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 12, in fact, for us. And so this is the origin story of Christianity. Excuse me, this is what it says in Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, now Abram, uh, he is who we know as Abraham. Later on in the Bible, his name is changed, or later on in his life, his name is changed from Abram to Abraham. Uh, so it says, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your family, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless them who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in, all, um, and in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. What, a, what an incredible promise from God to an individual. And so it says, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. So Abram takes God at his word and he begins to make his way uh, to this new land. God chooses Abraham out of all the people that were living on the earth at that time. Why did God choose Abraham? Because God chose Abraham. <laughs> I mean, that really becomes the answer for it. Now, I mean, obviously we see the story that leads up to that and Abraham, you know, comes directly from Adam and Noah. So we, we, we know that. But was Abraham better than everybody else on the planet at that time. Doesn't appear to be so. He seems to just be a normal guy that God says, I choose you. He's an imperfect perfect person in an imperfect family. To, and God is asking him to do what God wants him to do, and that is to be an image bearer of God to the rest of the world to be a blessing. How well do we do at being a blessing to everybody around us? <laughs> Sometimes pretty good. Other times, not so good, right? And this is the story where it begins for Christianity, believe it or not. So he slowly builds his family. Um, 
uh, but not through his own children. He, he's childless. He and, his, uh, he and his wife, Sarah, have no children. So he, he slowly builds his families. He's got um, uh, other people that they are inviting into the family, servants. And he is picking one individual, a guy by the name of, uh, of Eleazar, I believe, uh, that is going to be the one who is the heir to Abraham. Abraham's thinking to himself, all right, God has said, I'm going to be a father of nations. The only way to be a father of nations is to be a father of children. And I don't have any children, so I'm going to pick this guy to be my heir. God shows up about 10 years after Genesis chapter 12. We're now in Genesis 15. Uh, It says this, after these things, so after Abraham began to set up his, um, his family, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield and the one who will reward you in great abundance. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what will you give me since I continue to be childless? In other words, God, how's this going to happen? I've got no kids, so there's no way for me to be the father of nations. But look, the Lord continues, um, the word of the Lord came to him, a son who will come from your own body will be your heir. The Lord took him outside and said, gaze into the sky and count the stars. If you're able to count them, then he said to, then God said to Abram, so will your descendants be. All right. So at that point, 10 years after that initial blessing was given to, uh, to Abraham, here's uh, God speaking to Abram again. And uh, Abram's trying to figure all of this out. And then a key thing happens at this point in history. This is what Paul's referring to in Romans chapter 4 when we get there in just a moment. Uh, This is the earth-shattering moment that changes everything and everyone's potential relationship with God. Here it is. It seems kind of innocuous when you read through it, but it is incredibly powerful. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, right? God said, look at the stars. It's going to be like this. And then it says in verse 6, Abram believed the Lord says he believed the Lord, and it says the Lord considered his response of faith as proof of genuine loyalty. Just by Abraham believing, God said, you're in right relationship with me. God declared him righteous. God declared him in right standing with God, all because Abram believed. Pastor, that seems too easy, <laughs> right? I mean, we, we want to do things. We're kind of bent to accomplish things. That's kind of how we are wired, how we are created. We want to do things, but when it comes to faith, when it comes to right standing with God, God is making a statement about this, and he says faith is where it lies. Abram didn't present God large sums of money in order to prove it, He just believed. And so then something happens right after this, pretty pretty phenomenal. And this is um, something that I don't, this might be a new story for you out of the Bible. If you've read the Bible a lot, this is one of those stories that's only a few verses long, but it is unbelievable. And so uh, get ready, okay, get ready. So a little bit later on in Genesis 15, so just a couple of verses later, um, God asks Abram to set up a sacrifice, There you go, pastor. That's what we're talking about. Now it's going to cost me something, (laughs) right? Now I've got to do something in order for God to love me. And so this is what God's actually getting at. So this is a very special kind of sacrifice. 
Um, it's called the, uh, the Covenant of the Haves, H-A-L-V-E-S, not the haves like I have and you don't, okay? It's the Covenant of the Haves, things that are split in half. And so uh, back in the Old Testament times, this was something that, uh, of a covenant between two people. And so let's say I'm making a covenant here with, uh, with Big Jim, and I say, Big Jim, you're going to be my protector, okay? And so this, this covenant that would happen, and I will protect you as well. And so the covenant of the haves would go this way. You would grab, and just like what it says in, uh, in Genesis, it says uh, God asked um, Abraham to get a heifer, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon, and he was to sacrifice these animals and then what seems very strange to us and really outside of our circumstances and uh, living here in West Valley or Taylorsville or wherever you live here in the Salt Lake Valley, right, says that they are to, uh, to, to uh, Abraham is to kill the animals and then he's to cut the animals in half. And then you arrange the animals on either side of like a small trough, a small little tiny valley there between them. And then the blood would run out of those animals into this little, uh, little tiny trough between uh, these now dead animals. Okay? Uh, I'm going to show you a picture. It's not, it's, it's an illustration. <laughs> Of it. Okay, so it would have looked something similar to this because it's hard to wrap our head around without seeing something, okay? Would have looked similar to this on either side, animals uh, cut in half, and then uh, the, the blood flows to the middle there. And then what would happen if it's Big Jim and I? Uh, we would walk from either side of where these animals are killed and split in half through the blood. And we would walk halfway, we would meet halfway in, in, right in the middle there. We would shake hands or exchange uh, sandals or our shoes or something to say, hey, we're, we're in this covenant together. I will protect you, you protect me. And the reason why they would go to the middle was this. Because standing there in the blood between these uh, animals that were uh, rent asunder, how, how about that? We were cut in half, right? In the middle of it, it would basically be saying, if I don't fulfill my side of this bargain, you can do to me what was done to these animals. You can take my life. That's a pretty serious covenant, right? And so God has Abraham set up this covenant. And Abraham's thinking to himself, okay, I'm going to be entering into something very serious with God and we are going to meet halfway into the middle of this walking through blood because God is serious about this covenant and now I'm going to have to do something to prove my side of this covenant. That's the thinking of Abraham setting this up. He would have known what this covenant was. He would have been familiar with it, had potentially even partaken in a covenant like this before. But something happens in this moment that Abraham didn't see coming. It's a bit of time that happens, so Abraham sets everything up like this, and it's potentially 8 to 12 hours, uh, and nothing is happening. Abraham's like, did I hear God right? Have you ever wondered if you heard God? <laughs> Abraham's wondering that right now. Vultures are starting to come down, trying to take these sacrifices. Abraham's fighting them off and, and all that stuff. And so it says that night fell, and it says that Abraham went into a deep sleep, and has another vision. In fact, it says that there was terror associated with this sleep. And it's like the presence of God. And if you, I mean, we, we are fallible, broken people. And to be in the presence of a holy God is not often 
uh, a, a, a really wonderful experience. And for Abraham especially, feeling the weight of all of this and the presence of God comes down and it, there's darkness. And for Abraham, he re, it results in like a bit of terror. And this is what happens in this covenant. The Bible says in verse, uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 17, it says, when the sun went down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot with a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And it says, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So here's the picture, right? So the sacrifice is laid out. Abram's on one side of that, waiting for God to show up so that they can meet in the middle. What does God do? The Bible says that God came walking down all the way through, all the way to where Abraham was. What does this mean? Why is that important? Because what God was speaking to Abraham by his actions was saying, Abraham, I am going to fulfill every promise. I'm going to do this because I am a faithful God and you have no requirements other than the faith that you showed when you believed me. That is enough. The Bible says that God came all the way to where Abraham was and says, I'm going to fulfill all of this. That's the kind of God that we have. That's the kind of God that we serve who says, your belief is what your heart, like uh, uh, Natasha was sharing earlier, your heart, that is what I am looking for. Now to Romans. This is the story that Abraham is thinking of when he's writing the book of Rome, or writing this letter to the Roman church, and he gets to what we call Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our ancestor according to the flesh, has discovered regarding this matter, the matter being that of faith? For if Abraham was declared righteous by the works of the law, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the, to the one who works, his pay is not credited, but due to, uh, not credited due to grace, but due to obligation. But to the one who does not work, but believes in the one who declares the ungodly righteous, his faith is credited as righteousness. Okay, let me unpack that. There's a whole lot there that I just read through. Um, for those of you who work, are employed, have a job, um, and you get paid uh, twice a month, uh, every week, whatever, whatever that, that thing is, right? You get paid for the work that you did. And so it's not like you would look at it and go, um, uh, you know, wow, what a surprise. What grace has been bestowed on me <laughs> that I got paid after you just worked two long, hard weeks, whatever the work is, okay? Maybe it's brain work, maybe it's uh, science, whatever it is, maybe it's very hard labor, right? But you worked hard for that, and so you are owed that payment. That's called obligation. You did something, and so somebody's obliged to then reward you for your work, okay? It's just called a paycheck. That's not grace, What's grace? Grace is what Abraham experienced. God said, I declare you righteous and you've done nothing to deserve it. I, I don't owe this to you. God's saying to Abraham, I don't owe this to you. I declare you righteous because I love you, because you're made in my image, and because you 
believe. So Paul is drawing a strong conclusion against a salvation and right relationship with God that is founded on works. He's saying we don't earn this. Folks, we can't work for it. Because if we work for it, then God is obligated to us. And that somehow seems so wrong. God is obligated to no one. But here's the problem. The Jews at the time, when Paul is writing this, they had something called the covenant. They had something called, and you never thought we would talk about this on a Sunday morning at Life Church Utah, they had something called circumcision. If you don't know what that is, talk to your parents. Um, so th there was, there was a, a circumcision that was performed on the males uh, that, that were Jews as a sign of the covenant that they had with God. So it was a, a, like a physical sign of this relationship that they declared for God. The problem was that the Jewish people got it out of order and circumcision became the gateway into relationship with God rather than the sign of a relationship with God. Romans chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. In this blessedness then, or is this blessedness then for the circumcision or also for the uncircumcision? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited to him? Was he circumcised at the time or not? So this is a big, a big question in the early church. It's not necessarily a question anymore for churches like Life Church, okay? But this is a huge, huge question because it goes back and deals with this idea, do I work my way into right relationship with God or am I made right with God by faith and faith alone? And so the question was, was Abraham in right relationship with God before he was circumcised or after he was circumcised? Here's the end of the matter. No, it says he was not circumcised, but uncircumcised, and he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So in other words, circumcision came after the declaration of righteousness for Abraham. It was 14 years later, in fact, from the time in Genesis 15 till we get to Genesis 17 when all of this is instituted, but for the Jewish people, they had said at the time, you must be circumcised. You must have a work to show that you're in right relationship with God. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. That is not the point. The point is, it's all about faith. Abraham showed it. He showed at the very beginning of, of the relationship that he had with God. It was all about faith. Uh, verse 16, for this reason, it is by faith so that it may be by grace. Folks, it is only grace, only the grace of God poured out in our life that leads us to a right relationship with him through faith. With the result that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are under the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Remember that original promise way back in Genesis chapter 12, who says, he will be the father of many nations and will bless the world. We are the children of Abraham when we have faith in Christ. Ever thought about it that way? We are truly, Paul goes on later on to say, we are truly Jewish, believe it or not, because of this right relationship with God, because we believe by faith. We can look to Abraham to be a picture of how faith works. 
When we believe God, it's only by grace that he receives us. All humanity comes to God in the same way. It's not the nation that you're born into that makes you a Christian. Sometimes the world thinks that about America, right? Oh, if you're American, you're Christian. Those two do not equate. <laughs> some, it's, uh, the, the, some would say it's the family that you're born into that makes you Christian. That is not the case. Some would say it's a, a socioeconomic status. That's not the case. Faith is available to all of us to say, God, I believe you. And then Romans chapter 4, verse 23, and I know we've gone through a lot of scriptures today, but it says this, but the statement, quote, it was credited, credited to him, it was not written only for Abraham's sake, but also for our sake, to whom it will be credited, those who believe in the one who raised Jesus Christ, our Lord, from the dead. Our belief is the same as Abraham thousands of years ago, that we believe by faith. We don't work. We don't earn our way into right relationship with God. And in fact, if you remember, God came all the way to where Abraham was through that covenant of the halves, through the blood, walking through that saying, I, God, I will take all of this and I will be faithful to the promise I gave you. This same God in Jesus Christ on a hill called Golgotha came all the way for every one of us. Came all the way so that we, in receiving him by faith, can have right relationship with God. That's the bottom line. This is where it all ends up. And this is why Paul goes all the way back to the story of Abraham and says, look at this story of Abraham because this is our foundation. This is what it means to be Christian, is to have faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. Again, not because we've done it right, not because we've paid enough money, not because we've attended church enough, not because we followed a certain set of rules, but our life flows out of the faith that we have, and so we behave differently. We live differently. We, we, our, our humor should be different than the world's. Our, the way that we give, the way that we're generous, the way that we interact, all should be different because of faith, not that we are different and then God has to love us. This is what makes us right with God. It's his generosity given for us through the picture of Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. And now we are shaped by his presence within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we now should extend the love that God has given to us to this world around us that is broken and hurting. Sometimes the way that that looks is by us uh, and our coworkers. Right, spending time with them, doing a little extra uh, you know, for them, whatever it is, praying for them, believing God for them. And I was just praying with somebody up here whose coworker um, had a coworker that passed away and uh, kind, of the, kind of a little bit of the devastation going on in their uh, small business and being able to pray over him. And his prayer was, God, let me be a help to those who are at my work so that I can lead them to Jesus. What an incredible prayer. And I believe God wants to answer, right? God has called us because of who Jesus is through faith. 
Sometimes it looks like our family, right? When we're, we're loving on our family and telling them about Jesus and leading them towards Christ. Uh, sometimes it's a neighbor and sometimes it takes the shape of what we're gonna do next. And that is through our one day to feed the world uh, offering that we're gonna be receiving. Right, this is an opportunity for us, and hopefully, I mean, I know we've, it's been on social media this week. We've talked about it for a number of weeks. Last week, we had Jeff Anderson here. I'm so grateful for him giving us that foundation um, for, uh, for what Convoy of Hope is and how we can participate in it. But as we, uh, as we set up for, um, for this offering here in a, few, in a few moments, let us remember that while Jesus died for all of us, right, for all of humanity, really it's up to us to picture Jesus to the world around us. We become the hands and feet extended. Sometimes it's physical. Other times it's through, uh, through the giving that we are able to give and to be a blessing to a broken world. Uh, last week, we watched this, uh, watched this video kind of at the tail end of the service. And I'd like for us to watch it again. It gives us a, a good picture of really the challenge that's in front of us to set the table for those uh, for whom they can't set the table for themselves, but by, but by what we're going to be able to give here in just a few minutes is that really going to make a difference. Turn your attention to the screens. All over the world, there are empty plates at the table and countless empty seats. In the famine, in the flood, in the aftermath, a full table is a fantasy. When you are eating nothing, going nowhere, when every road is a dead end and every cupboard is bare, a full plate is a fable. Then suddenly, love arrives. Faith gets to work and hope rolls up its sleeves. When hope sets the table, seeds become sprouts, become gardens, become fields. Future sinks its roots into the good earth. When hope sets the table, girls grow into women with the power to chase their dreams define their destinies and weave their love into communities too strong to unravel. When hope sets the table, bright eyes shine with confidence that comes from a full belly and a sharp mind sparkling with grand dreams and electrifying visions. Convoy of Hope has worked tirelessly to build that table and millions have taken a seat. Now we ask you to join us. Put your love to work. Put your faith on the line. Share the hope that's in your heart. So please, pull up a chair. Let us break bread together and let hope set the table for millions more. Amen, and this is what we're about, right, as a church. Us being able to provide for those who cannot on their own. I'm gonna invite our ushers uh, to come down and they've got envelopes. They've got our One Day to Feed the World envelopes. Some of you might already have them, uh, but if you don't, could you please raise your hand and definitely want everybody to take one. I mean, um, uh, certainly every family to take one. Uh, 
If you've given online already, and many of you already have chosen to give, to give online, I do want you to take one as well uh, for what we're going to be doing right at the very end, uh, at the end of this. And can I get one, Rich, as well? Thank you. Um, right, and so uh, we're going to be able to support uh, right up here in the front, right up here in the front as well. Um, we're going to be able to support Convoy of Hope, and Convoy of Hope is an organization uh, that we have been a part of here at Life Church for many, many, many years, uh, certainly predating uh, my time here as well. I know a lot of the leaders uh, at Convoy of Hope, and uh, they are uh, men and women filled with integrity, and uh, their goal is to be able to put every dollar that we give right into the hands, into the feet, into the mouths of those that we're going to be feeding because of this. There are four parts to Convoy of Hope. Uh, disaster relief is a big part of what they do, and that's really where they got started. Uh, extended now to uh, women's empowerment initiatives, extended into agriculture, and now Convoy of Hope also feeds uh, over 300 children on a daily basis. Uh, they're hoping to grow that, I think, by 2024 to over a million kids uh, every single week or every single day. And we can be a part of this in an incredible way. So one day to feed the world, the, ba the bottom line of it is, is that we give one day's work to change their every day. Right, we give one day's work to change their every day. And so on the envelopes is provided. If you don't know already, there's like a quick mathematics kind of thing there, depending on what you make in a year, you can kind of see what's, what's appropriate uh, to be able to give. If you are not able to give this, remember the story that Natasha told earlier, right? The giving that we give out of the fullness of our hearts, uh, that's what matters to God. It's not the amount that's given right? But it's saying, okay, God, right now, man, this is a terrible time for us, for my family, but Lord, I'm going to entrust to you, even if it's a dollar today, even if it's five bucks, to say, God, take this, multiply it, make it way more than what it looks like on paper right now. If you already gave online, um, what I'm going to ask you to do is if you can just write, um, write how much you gave online and just mark online uh, so that we know that that uh, is part of the uh, offering uh, as well. Obviously, it's going to show up in our database that way, but uh, in the picture we're going to have here in just a moment, that's why it's important uh, to do that. My heart for Life Church and our, for our staff is that we want to be radically generous. And we know that the pressures on the world in which we live right now, that uh, uh, those who are already in poverty, those who are already in that position of need, our world is not making it any easier on them uh, right now. And so what we give is going to make a huge difference. You might say, Pastor, I'm also in that position where I can't give much again. Uh, the point is, is that we give. The point is that we're faithful and we trust the Lord in this moment. We give not to make God love us, we give because God has already given so much to us through his son, Jesus Christ, who came all the way for us. I'm gonna invite you to uh, stand to your feet at this time. Father, I am so grateful for these who have gathered. God, I'm grateful for this congregation Father, I thank you that as we have prepared these gifts, some of us have uh, kind of worked through what this looks like for a couple of months now and setting aside uh, certain amounts and um, God, others, this is brand new for them today as they walked in had no idea that there would be a special offering taken. But God, from this week and through the next couple of weeks, Lord, help us to be people of generosity because God, you have already been so generous to us. 
And God, the gifts that we give that represent a day of work in our lives, Lord, I pray that you would multiply it. Father, I know that there are those who are within our congregation who have already indicated that they're going to be giving more than one day's wage, some of them up to two and three days' wages. God, I am grateful for their sacrifice and grateful, Lord, for the abundance of blessing. But God, I also recognize that there are those who feel today, uh, maybe even feel ashamed that they can't give more. But God, I thank you that just like the, uh, just like the widow, widow and her giving what she had, Lord, there is something powerful about a heart that is committed to you. And again, God, it doesn't matter the amount. What, ma- what matters is the heart and the attitude in which it's given. And so God, we give these gifts to you. We give them willingly. God, we give them uh, recognizing that they are going to go to be able to spread the gospel of Christ into those parts of our world that are hurting, going to be helping children have, uh, have good meals for them so that they can be, uh, have nourishment so that they can learn well and that they can grow and understand that there is a God in Jesus Christ that loves them. Lord, I praise you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. And so as these gifts are given, um, obviously you're able to fill out, um, fill out the uh, portion of that, put the gift in there if it's a check or cash, or again, if it's uh, maybe even IOU for the next couple of weeks uh, that we'll be also providing opportunity over the next couple of weeks uh, to be able to give. Uh, but here's what I'd like you to do uh, with that. We've already prayed over it. Hopefully you've already put whatever you need to uh, in the envelope. Uh, but I think as, a, as really a gesture of faith, as a step of faith, um, these altars are a place for us to just say, God, we're giving this to you. And so what I'm gonna ask you to do, um, Natasha's going to, uh, to lead us in that last song that we sang. Um, and we might not feel like, hey God, I don't got much here, but Lord, I'm giving this to you. The way we do that is that we come forward and we place our gifts on the altar uh, at this time. And so if you've got a, uh, an envelope that you're ready to be able to give uh, today and up in the balcony, I know it might be a bit of a journey for you, but uh, you're, you're exercised today doing steps, but uh, you can take the steps down on either side or make your way uh, into the uh, lobby area and make your way down uh, front here. So Natasha, why don't you lead us in that song? And at this time, if you'd like to come on up and place your gifts here at the altar as just a sign of extra worship to the Lord today. Father, we thank you, God. I thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, as we give to you, Lord, our offerings, Lord, I pray that you would multiply them beyond whatever, what we could ever think or imagine. 
And God, I pray today that, Lord, as we have been faithful over the past number of weeks and even months for some, setting aside little bits here and there to be able to give uh, today and over the next couple of weeks, that, God, you would shine forth in power and in glory through the generosity of your church. God, this really isn't about us, Lord. None of this stays here at Life Church Utah. None of it stays right here. But God, this is going overseas and going into communities around even the United States, Lord, that are in desperate need. And so God, I thank you for your people who are willing to give today. Father, I pray your blessings on them. And Jesus, ultimately, we are grateful that you came all the way to us. You were born in that manger. You lived that perfect life. You died for our sins and you rose to life and power. And now you are seated on that throne, ruling and reigning in authority. And Lord, we thank you for that. And thank you that by faith, not by works, but by faith, you receive us into your kingdom. Lord, we love you. God, we give you all the glory. I thank you, God, that you have called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. And Lord, this offering today is such a great picture of what it means to be more like you because Jesus, you gave it all. And so Lord, help us to give it all. Lord, I pray your blessing on your people. Lord, I ask that your face would shine upon them. Lord, I pray that you would give them peace. And uh, Lord, may your glory guide and direct us today. Lord, help us to represent you well in this world around us. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Don't miss next week, uh, Thanksgiving service and uh, Romans chapter five. So God bless you guys.